Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for our beautiful worship today. We continue our sermon series from the Acts of the Apostles. If you'll turn to the Acts of the Apostles, the ninth chapter, Handmade by Dorcas. If you've missed one of our Acts sermons in this series, you can go to firstamarillo.org and you can watch it or listen to it or print it off and uh, we want you to catch up. If you'd been here this morning at about 7 o'clock, you would have seen a parking lot full of uh, students from middle school and high school, 7th grade through 12th grade. It is the largest group that I can remember we're ever sending to camp. They're going to Missouri. I'm going to join them and be their camp pastor uh, this afternoon. But we had about 234 go this year to youth camp and four Greyhound buses and a large van, and they're going to have a great time. Pray for them this week. Pray for their safety and for divine appointments for them to hear the proclamation of God's Word. It takes him less than one minute, guaranteed. This crazy-looking character in a yellow fedora, a yellow silk butterfly bow tie, and a bright yellow blazer. He's gained the attention of the likes of USA Today, the Boston Globe News, Chicago Tribune, CNN.com. His name is Dan Hurley. He's a sidewalk performer. No, he's not a mime. He's not a juggler. He's not even a folk singer. He doesn't even play the saxophone for money. Mr. Hurley plays the typewriter keys. Clickety-clack, zip-ding. He plays a 1923 Remington typewriter. He's a performance writer. He's a 60-second novelist. He started working out on the streets, just interviewing people. You tell him your story. He asks you questions. Are you in love? How would you meet your husband? What's going on in your life? And in 60 seconds guarantee, after the little interview, he types away, has a carbon copy for himself, and zip, ding, there you go. There's your 60-second novel by Dan Hurley. He's written 22,000 such one-minute novels so far. He remembers his favorite love story. It was August the 27th, 1986. He was hired to write 60-second novels at, for a party at CBS Magazine. It was at the Rye Playland, an amusement park north there of New York on the shore. And one of the many people who stood in line for a long time to be interviewed and have their story typed up by Dan Hurley was a blue-eyed woman by the name of Alice. She told Dan that she had recently ended a relationship. She was trying to deal with it. She would visit with her grandmother and take long walks on the ocean to work through her broken heart. Well, this was Alice's novel entitled Walking Along the Ocean. Alice went out with Jeff for four years, and then he broke up with her because he felt it wasn't right, and he was confused which made her very unhappy at the time, but now she thinks it was for the best. And a year and a half or two since then, she's gone on dates, but either she likes a guy and he doesn't like her or vice versa. Well, all of this is pretty rotten. So she's taken to seeing her grandmother a lot, a wise woman, encouraging and loving and understanding. And Alice talks with her and she feels much better and finds warmth and laughter but how will Alice ever find true love again? 
One day, after visiting her grandmother, Alice will go for a walk along the ocean, and she will meet a man. He will ask her a question, and the first thing she will think of is, wow, this guy is really something. And they will talk and fall in true love. He might come from a ship. He might be swimming. He might be walking. He might fall from the sky. He might come from underneath the waves. But the important thing is he will come from the ocean after she goes to see Grandma, and she isn't even thinking about a man. For you see, there are plenty of fish in the sea and a lot of men too. Well, later, through a course of coincidental meetings, Dan Hurley went on to marry Alice. Rye Playland is 20 yards from the ocean. So his prediction was right. She talked to a man and fell in love by the sea. The 62nd novelist is no novice. He was actually a contributing editor for the likes of Psychology Today before he became a sidewalk Shakespeare. His book, entitled The 62nd Novelist, hit number 22 on Amazon.com's best-selling list for a while. Dan Hurley, clickety-clap, zip-ding. If he were to interview you, if he were to write about your life and your story, what would be on that one page of paper? Your life summarized in a paragraph or two, what would it read like? What would it say? What would Dan Hurley find out from you to put down on the old typewriter? The truth of the matter is, whether we realize it or not, that those around us can pretty accurately sum up our lives in a sentence or two. Despite the complexities of human character, the depth of human dimensions, and the multifacets of mankind, the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, our lives are summarized in about 60 seconds by those who love us. Clickety-clap, zip-ding. The 60-second summary. Here in the Acts of the Apostles, well, Luke acts like Dan Hurley. He summarizes the life of Tabitha or Dorcas. He, we have only 94 words that summarize who Tabitha was, who Dorcas was. He tells us what Dorcas did and how she died, how the widows mourned, and how she lived again, and many believed. By the way, her, her name means gazelle. That's a beautiful name for a woman, isn't it? Tabitha or Dorcas means gazelle. Look at the summary of her life. Look at the clickety-clap zip-ding in verse 36. This woman was abounding in deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Translation, Dorcas was always making things by hand for those around her. She was one of those quiet servants who worked week after week and year after year and worked in her church, hardly noticed by those around her, hardly noticed, that is, until she died and was gone. She didn't have the ability to teach. She wasn't in leadership roles. Dorcas didn't try to do what she couldn't do. Dorcas did what she could do. Put another way, Dorcas does a lot for people, and Dorcas did it all the time. 
She takes time all the time to serve others. She is loved and admired because of her servant-like spirit. She does what others can't or at least what others will not do. All of a sudden, the story moves fast, and Dorcas is sick, and Dorcas dies. According to Jewish laws of purification, they wash her body, and they lay it there on the table. And someone says, go and get the apostle Peter. He's in Joppa, 10 miles away. And they lay her body there in the upper room, and they go and get the apostle Peter. When Peter arrives, the witnesses are there mourning her death. The widows wept, and they are displaying all the robes and the garments that Dorcas has made for them. Look, look, can you believe that after my husband died, I only had one robe, and I didn't know what I was going to do? And, well, Dorcas made me this one, and she's wearing it right there. What a coincidence. Dorcas has died. This is the robe that she made, and it's my favorite robe. And I remember after I received this robe, from Dorcas, I thought, what would I have ever done if I didn't have Dorcas to make that robe for me? Another lady said, well, you're not the only one. Don't think you're the only one. Dorcas made this for me too, said another widow. Look here, it is my very favorite tunic. And she was showing off. There's Dorcas's body right there in the room. And the ladies, the widows, are showing off all the garments that she has made for them. And they were thankful. They were weeping. They were weeping while they were remembering. Remembering all the things that Dorcas had done for them. Remembering Dorcas's handmade deeds. Get out, Peter said. Everyone out. I need to pray. And perhaps he prayed like he had never prayed before. He turned to Dorcas's by now cold corpse and he declared, Tabitha, arise. Look at verse 40. And she opened her eyes when she saw Peter and she sat up. And Peter presented her to the widows who had been so dependent upon her. And the word spread that Dorcas was alive again. And the whole church rejoiced because Dorcas was irreplaceable, indispensable in that body of faith. The widows have been weeping. What are we going to do without Dorcas? To be sure, the early church would have survived without this little-known lady. You probably didn't know much about Dorcas before today's sermon. She's not that well-known. This lady who hand-sewed garments for the widows. But don't believe for one moment that the church would not have been weaker. It would have been weaker Don't dare say that anybody could do what Dorcas did because nobody else was doing it, and they couldn't. Thank God Peter brings her to life again. This morning, I I want you to think about in your own mind that one person who was present for you at just the right time and just the right way, and you would say, that's Dorcas to me. Look what he did for me. Look what she did for me. Who is it in your life that upon his death or her death, you would say, oh my, how are we ever going to make it without Dorcas? I I didn't even realize all the things that Dorcas had done 
for me. Who is that Dorcas in your life? And if Dan Hurley were to type your 60-second novel this morning with a clippity-clack, zip-ding, what would he write about you? Luke told us, Dorcas was one-of-a-kind servant for Christ and therefore a one-of-a-kind servant for Christ's church. When your time comes, when your day dawns, and they're washing your body and laying it out like Dorcas's, and people gather around your cold corpse with the community of Christ, what will this community of Christ say about you? Would it be like Dorcas? Did I tell you about the time that she? Man, I will never forget what he did for me. When the widows are weeping at your death, you have hit the target. Dorcas had hit the target. There's some of you who in this room work so hard for Christ's kingdom, so hard for First Baptist Church that your brothers in Christ here that should death seize you from us, there would be a great void, a valley of void, a mountain of deeds undone, and we would wring our hands and we would say, he had five jobs. Who's going to do all that he did? Who will ever fill his shoes? Who could ever take her place? You may not know it, but you may be sitting next to a Dorcas here today. We have so many ministries going on in this church that, quite candidly, I have to work to keep up in my mind with all of them, so I know that you don't know about all of them. But you may be sitting right beside Dorcas this morning, and you don't know it. We have several ministries that are, are so much like that. This one is called Hymned in Prayer. It's been going on longer than this, but they started counting the number of garments, and since 2010, the Dorcases in this church have hand-sewn over 1,400 little garments. This little dress will end up from my hands to Kenya. One of our Dorcases has sewn it. And as they sow, they pray, and as they pray, they sow. And everywhere we go around the world on mission trips, we carry these with us, and we hand them out at orphanages. And what a beautiful little dress, handmade by our own Dorcas. There's another ministry, Yarns of Hope. They knit, and they crochet, and they sew shawls and blankets. They help people who have an illness like cancer or, or their pillows made for women suffering with breast cancer. There's a hand muff for Alzheimer patients that has things that they can twiddle and fidget with. And, well, here is a, here's a shawl made, prayerfully made for you, it says, by Yarns of Hope of First Baptist Church. And someone with a terminal disease in some care facility here in town will receive this prayer shawl. It was prayed as it was knit by hand. The lady right beside you, 
the man right beside you this morning might be a Dorcas to us. Somewhere, somebody forgotten by so many has been remembered by these ladies who will not only cover their bodies with blankets, but their hearts with prayers. And what's so odd about the story is Dorcas was not a deacon. She was not an apostle. She was not a prophet. She sowed. She changed the kingdom of God with a thread and a needle. Sometimes it's the smallest acts of kindness that make the biggest difference. Jamie Winship found himself standing before an Islamic court The question posed to Jamie Winship was, Sir, do you understand the charge against you? Yes, I do, he said, slowly pronouncing every word in their dialect. He wanted to get it right, but I did nothing intentionally to offend the tenets of Islam. The dean of the school shouted out, You are not permitted to defend yourself. Do you understand? You're facing 10 years in prison. This is what happens to infidels who spread lies about religion among idealistic students on our campus. The dean leaned forward in his chair to share his vitriolic comments and made no effort to hide his hatred for Jamie and the other two Christians who were being accused and facing 10 years in prison for their Christian acts in a Muslim university in Asia. Jamie wrote, 10 years in a a foreign prison, he began to get faint even as he stood at his trial. He had had a successful career as a police officer, and he had left that career to go into full-time missions. And now what? May I be permitted to say something? The voice came from the back of the room. There was an audible gasp that anyone would be so bold as to interrupt the Islamic court. Jamie recognized the speaker as the new dean of the teacher training division at the university. Like most of you, I completed my PhD from University of the United States, and I am now a dean. He spoke in clear, perfect English and touted his accolades as if to establish himself as a reliable defendant of the accused. The dean who had brought the hateful charges was red in the face as the new dean continued. When I arrived in the United States, I was a student. I brought my wife and my daughter. My English wasn't good, and I didn't know anything about the culture. And one evening after we'd been there for about two days, there was a knock at the door, and there were two college students, and they said that they realized it must be really hard to be in another culture and not know the language that well. And they would help me and show me everything around the university, and they would take my wife, and they would show my wife where to shop, and they would help me in any way they could. And then he said, They invited me to a Bible study, and every Wednesday night I went to a Bible study, and they were Christians, and I studied with them for three years. 
The room was completely quiet, and Jamie didn't know if the dean was helping his case or hurting his case. He just didn't breathe. Now, isn't it the dream of every professor and dean in this room to attain in a a graduate degree from a foreign university, and I tell you who will help you. It is people like this, the Christians. They are the ones that will help you and love you. And what does it tell them about our faith if we put them in jail when they're here? The meeting was adjourned. The story of Jamie Winship facing 10 years in a foreign prison. Jamie writes, when I think about those college students who had no idea, they're simply befriending a foreign student and loving and showing small acts of kindness, taking the wife to the grocery store, they will never know that their deeds of kindness set me free from the Islamic court. Small deeds of kindness. At the great messianic banquet, we will all shift down from Dorcas because she'll be sitting at the head of the table. Clickety-clap, zip-ding. A 60-second summary. What will be written about you? What will be written about me? Let us pray. Oh, God, we come this morning and we're challenged by Dorcas's story. And we are so very grateful for the many Dorcases in our midst this morning. Maybe it's a ministry with a thread and a needle. Maybe it's a ministry with a pen and a note. Maybe it's a ministry of giving like the thousands of dollars it took to send the kids who needed help this morning to camp. But it's those who quietly give, serve, and represent you in our lives. Oh God, I pray this morning that each one of us would reevaluate how we spend our time in our lives. That maybe we have been reaching for glory when in reality we should have been reaching for a towel to wash feet. For indeed it is the Dorcases among us that build your kingdom. Maybe there's someone here this morning, oh God, who would come and say, this is my morning, my day to profess Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Maybe there are others who don't be a part of this great church. to be another Dorcas amongst the many. We all need a family to serve in. In the name of Jesus, we pray.